that compact fluorescent light bulbs use 60% less energy than regular light bulbs, and that each one saves about 300 pounds of carbon dioxide a year. If all Americans switched to CFLs, we would save more than 90 billion pounds of carbon dioxide. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Muni Radio in San Francisco. People from all over the Bay Area come to the Lindsay Wildlife Museum to experience close encounters with live wild animals. The museum's living collection features more than 50 species of non-releasable native California animals. Visitors can see and learn about wildlife such as eagles, owls, bobcats, coyotes, reptiles, and other fascinating creatures. The museum's world-renowned Wildlife Rehabilitation Hospital treats more than 5,000 wild animals each year with the goal of returning them to their native habitat. The Lindsay Wildlife Museum is in Walnut Creek. To learn more, visit wildlife-museum.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Meals on Wheels is dedicated to fostering independent living for San Francisco seniors by providing hot, nutritious meals delivered to their homes. They're committed to fostering independent living for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Alex! Here's one more item for you, the last in our civics book, rights. Boy, everyone in this country's always running around yammering about their fucking rights. I have a right, you have no right, we have a right, they don't have a right. Folks, I hate to spoil your fun, but there's no such thing as rights, okay? They're imaginary. We made them up, like the boogeyman. <laughs> the three little pigs, Pinocchio, Mother Goose, shit like that. Rights are an idea, they're just imaginary. They're a cute idea, cute, but that's all cute and fictional. But if you think you do have rights, let me ask you this. Where do they come from? People say, well, they come from God. They're God-given rights. Oh, fuck, here we go again. <laughs> here we go again. The God excuse. The last refuge of a man with no answers and no argument, it came from God. Anything we can't describe must have come from God. Personally, folks, I believe that if your rights came from God, he would have given you the right to some food every day, and he would have given you the right to a roof over your head. God would have been looking out for you. God would have been looking out for you. You know that? He wouldn't have been worried about making sure you have a gun so you could get drunk on Sunday night and kill your girlfriend's parents. But let's say it's true. Let's say God gave us these rights. Why would he give us a certain number of rights? The Bill of Rights in this country has 10 stipulations, okay? 10 rights. And apparently God was doing sloppy work that week because we've had to amend the Bill of Rights an additional 17 times. So God forgot a couple of things like slavery. Just fucking slipped his mind. But let's say, let's say God gave us the original 10. He gave the British 13. 
The British Bill of Rights has 13 stipulations. The Germans have 29. The Belgians have 25. The Swedish have only six. And some people in the world have no rights at all. What kind of a fucking goddamn God-given deal is that? No rights at all? Why would God give different people in different countries different numbers of different rights? Boredom? Amusement? Bad arithmetic? Do we find out at long last, after all this time, that God is weak in math skills? Doesn't sound like divine planning to me. Sounds more like human planning. Sounds more like one group trying to control another group. In other words, business as usual in America. Now, if you think you do have rights, one last assignment for you. Next time you're at the computer, get on the internet, go to Wikipedia. When you get to Wikipedia, in the search field for Wikipedia, I want you to type in Japanese Americans 1942, and you'll find out all about your precious fucking rights, okay? All right. You know about it. You know about it. Yeah. In 1942, there were 110,000 Japanese American citizens and good standing, law abiding people who were thrown into internment camps simply because their parents were born in the wrong country. That's all they did wrong. They had no right to a lawyer, no right to a fair trial, no right to a jury of their peers, no right to due process of any kind. The only right they had, right this way. <laughs> into the internment camps. Just when these American citizens needed their rights the most, their government took them away. And rights aren't rights if someone can take them away. They're privileges. That's all we've ever had in this country is a bill of temporary privileges. And if you read the news even badly, you know that every year the list gets shorter and shorter and shorter. You see how Yeah. Sooner or later, the people in this country are going to realize the government does not them. Government doesn't care about you or your children or your rights or your welfare or your safety. It simply doesn't give a fuck about you. It's interested in its own power. That's the only thing, keeping it and expanding it wherever possible. Personally, when it comes to rights, I think one of two things is true. I think either we have unlimited rights or we have no rights at all. Personally, I lean toward unlimited rights. I feel, for instance, I have the right to do anything I please. But if I do something you don't like, I think you have the right to kill me. <laughs> so where are you going to find a fairer fucking deal than that? <laughs> so the next time some asshole says to you, I have a right to my opinion, you say, oh yeah, well I have a right to my opinion, and my opinion is you have no right to your opinion. <laughs> then shoot the fuck and walk away. Thank you. George Carlin there. This is the B Labor and Love Show. That was uh, George Carlin in his uh, estimation of our rights. And uh, very low opinion of uh, what people call their rights. And giving the example, of course, of the imprisonment of 110,000 Japanese uh, people and Japanese Americans. This is the Labor and Love Show, and we're coming at you from Mutiny Radio. 
couple more to get us started here. Here is Miss Nina Simone.
morning everybody this is uh, the labor and love show and um, this is the B we're coming at you from 21st and Florida in the heart of the mission district in San Francisco at Meadow Meadow and this is your weekly labor magazine labor and love where we tell you how it is if one person got a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, at the negotiating table, that is, you're probably on the menu. And last, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor... I mean you. All right, everybody, it's 
Good to be talking to you after a week's layoff. We're, um, got a lot of things planned here for today. Let's see what we got on, <clears throat> on the schedule. Celebrating the life of Bill Hack. Um, labor activist. Aliyah, I have a song from Aliyah and a little biographical stuff about her. This is uh, close to the time when she died uh, 15 years ago in a plane crash. We've got Radio Labor. We've got uh, a 2016 version of a great work song, The Sloop John B., as sung by the Beach Boys. We've got uh, This Day in Labor History. And we've got music of social significance. So let's get on with some music here. We were listening to Which Side Are You On? Which is Annie DeFranco's version of a Florence Reese song. Florence Reese composed the song in 1931 to help the cause of uh, strikers in the coal fields. 1931, a struggle that's been going on and is still going on today as coal kind of shuts down. We had before that Nina Simone and her pirate Jenny, the Brecht Vile song from the Three Penny Opera. How to listen to that one. That's about the people who make the beds, keep the places clean clean out the banks and the offices so it's nice and spick and span so the the shirts and ties can get together and feel comfortable pirate jenny and of course we began with george carlin and his estimation of your rights here in uh, here in the United States. In other words, you don't have any. Certainly if you were a Japanese uh, Japanese American in, in 1942, all of a sudden you didn't have any, whether you were a citizen or not. So our rights are uh, not God-given, as he says. Okay, here's Aaliyah, and Aaliyah's talking about the situation out in the street. Throw your hands up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Aaliyah's in the hair. So check, 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 chickity, check, check, check it out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Ha ha, Aaliyah's in the hair. Oh, 
Okay, that was Aaliyah. Okay, um, Aaliyah died at the age of 22 in the year 2001. Her name was Aaliyah Dana Houghton. Uh, at the age of 10, she appeared on television and performed with uh, Gladys Knight. Um, signed with a record company. Early on, her uncle Barry Hankerson's Blackground Records. Aaliyah's album One in a Million sold 3 million copies in the United States and over 8 million copies worldwide. The song we just heard was Throw Your Hands Up. And Aaliyah, it sounds like, was making it in more of a partying way, but since then that phrase, Throw Your Hands Up, has taken a grim, grim meaning in the public consciousness. So many people of color, young men of color, are murdered in the streets by police when they have their hands up. They have their hands up. One guy had an electronic cigarette in his hand. The cop said that looked like a gun. Shot him down. That was just this week in... Uh, well, there were two big, two important ones, and they're all important. El Cajon and Charlotte, North Carolina. The 
Cradle of the Confederacy. Okay, so that was Aaliyah. And let's see, I wanted to play our Win Week in Review, which I will do. Win Week in Review. When we can review by uh, Workers Independent News. Workers Independent News, we can review. For when, I'm Joanne Powers. California Governor Jerry Brown signed Senate Bill 1241 this weekend, placing limits on agreements requiring workers to waive their rights to challenge employers in the courts. The bill specifically bans arbitration clauses which force California residents out of state. Former WeWork employee and now activist Tara Zumer had to go all the way to New York in order to have her case arbitrated. Because employees have better rights and stronger rights in California, it's increasingly unfair for me to have to travel to another state that has less favorable laws. It it does feel a bit like a band-aid on a large open wound, but it is a step in the right direction. Arbitration is basically a private court system that is starting to compete with our actual court, one that actually favors employers far more than it does employees. Reporter Kelly Haybor of New Jersey's Star-Ledger newspaper recently co-authored an investigative report finding death, discrimination, and despair in New Jersey's temp industry. Haybor describes the industry as rife with mistreatment of temporary workers. The temp industry is booming across the country, but there's also a dark side to it. There's a lot of discrimination, alleged mistreatment, and some deaths of temp workers, gender discrimination, racial discrimination, safety problems. There's even been several prominent temp agencies that aren't licensed. There's been very little oversight of the industry. A coalition of labor, community, and environmental groups are raising the alarm about a proposal from the mayor and city council of Los Angeles to change the governance of the city's Department of Water and Power. If voters approve the amendment on November 8th, it will strip the department's workers, a quarter of the city workforce, of their rights under the civil service system. Cheryl Parisi is chair of the Coalition of L.A. City Unions and executive director of ASME District Council 36. We're just shocked that the city of Los Angeles would move in this manner to eliminate civil service protection. We believe that a merit-based system has resulted in a highly competent and also very diverse workforce. Labor activists and their allies picketed the ultra-conservative Freedom Foundation's 25th annual fundraiser in Washington State last weekend to protest its anti-union actions. Having failed so far in their attempts to get the state to pass anti-union so-called right-to-work legislation, the foundation has stepped up its actions from harassing unions in the courts to a campaign of harassment and intimidation of individual union members. A very aggressive campaign of phone calls and door-to-door visits to union members' homes, trying to convince them to leave the union. Maxine Regal is a member of Teamsters Local 117. Many members certainly feel that they are being harassed. And the Freedom Foundation is currently in court to try and get full name and birth date of all Washington State public employees and expand this campaign. You've been listening to WIN, Workers Independent News. For more information, visit laborradio.org. That was our radio labor
segment. <clears throat> okay, certainly uh, Jerry Brown signing that bill is a, a step forward, a small step, but a step forward for uh, working people. Let's listen now to Radio Labor, and Radio Labor is a world report. The 43 students. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report for the week September 25th to 30th, 2016. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, teacher unions demand a U.N. investigation into the disappearance of 43 student teachers in Mexico. One of the largest global unions starts its international congress. Labor wants social justice to be part of any climate change program. And the Labor Start report about union events around the world. This is Radio Labor. Six teacher unions from North and Latin America are calling on the United Nations to investigate the mysterious disappearance of 43 student teachers in Mexico two years ago. One of the unions calling for action by the UN's Human Rights Council is the American Federation of Teachers. The AFT represents some 1.6 million members working as educators and other public employees. I talked to AFT President Randy Weingarten. I asked her to describe what happened to the student teachers in Mexico. Two years ago, 43 teachers in training, Mexican teachers in training, disappeared under very mysterious circumstances. And despite people from all across the world, including Mexican teachers, asking the government to take an investigation seriously and find these teachers and training people who wanted to make a difference in the lives of children. Not only was the government silent, but there's some evidence that suggests that they were complicit. And so now, two years later, a group of trade unionists from Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Colombia, El Salvador, and ourselves are asking the UN Human Rights Council to find these teachers or find out what happened. There is a grave injustice that has been done, a human rights violation, a moral violation, and that's why today we have all collectively in solidarity taken this action. No bodies have been found. Is there a chance some of the young student teachers could be alive? You know, until we know what has happened to them, you never know. And one can always hope and one can always pray. But at the end of the day, regardless of what has happened to them, we need to find out. The educators of the world are now the conscience of what has happened to these young people who wanted to be teachers. What do you expect the UN's Human Rights Council to do? We expect the UN Human Rights Council to take this seriously and to put pressure on the Mexican government to do not only a proper investigation, but also find, if possible, find out if these kids are still alive and if not, what happened to them. This is about the eyes of the world trying to shine a spotlight on this grave injustice. Why is the AFT so interested in this situation in Mexico? We are part of the sisterhood and brotherhood of educators all throughout the world. And when people go after the teachers of the world, you know something is very wrong. 
One of the largest global unions is preparing for its international conference scheduled to be held in Brazil at the start of October. Industrial represents 50 million workers in 140 countries. They work in a wide range of sectors from mining to manufacturing to garment production. Jörg Reina is the general secretary of Industrial. We are pretty busy here preparing the second World Congress of Industrial Global Union. In the beginning of October, we will gather 1,400 union leaders from all five continents to Rio de Janeiro. We will celebrate the first four years of this organization and take important decisions about the future on the action and strategies for future years. We will be there also to support the struggle of Brazilian workers and their unions for democracy and labor rights. So if you can't be there, please uh, log on to our Congress website, check the blog and the live stream, and that way you will feel the spirit of our Congress slogan, Fighting Forward, a luta continua. Tuesday, September 27th, was World Tourism Day, a day being used by the International Union of Food Workers to highlight the social justice aspects of the fight against hazardous climate change. Radio Labor senior correspondent Seamary Ainsborough reports. The International Union of Food Workers, the IUF, wants the world to recognize that human-caused climate change is more than just an environmental and industrial issue. On World Tourism Day, the Global Union called for a wider view of the issue, which includes an understanding that how we respond to climate change is also an ethical issue involving human rights and justice. The IUF represents 2.5 million members of more than 400 unions, operating in a wide range of sectors from agriculture to food processing to restaurants. The Global Union is demanding that governments recognize the impact of climate change on tourism. It wants government climate action plans to include the protection of tourism workers and their livelihoods. To ensure these government plans are effective, says the IUF, countries need strong, independent labor unions representing tourism workers. The only way for climate change programs to work, says the union, is for working people to be part of the government initiatives. Yet governments are only talking to business and international agencies about what needs to be done. Tourism workers, said the IUF, need to be involved in the struggles against disastrous climate change through their unions. This is Seamary Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labour. Now here with his report about union events around the world is Labour Star correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the more than 2,400 stories our volunteers collected in the last week. Our top stories section included links to news about the union-led protests against the parliamentary coup in Brazil, a wave of strikes in South Korea, and attacks on unions and union activists in Egypt. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Public sanitation workers in India, on strike for over a month, were demanding the regularization of their status with their employer. South African platinum miners and tourism workers started wage strikes last week. 
Brazilian bank workers continued their strike over their employer's refusal to raise their wages, while their colleagues in Korea commenced a strike after banks there proposed a so-called merit-based pay system. Healthcare workers continued a series of strikes across Kenya in their wage dispute. In Peru, workers at a Chinese-owned copper mine downed tools to back their demand for a modest wage increase. Tens of thousands of Indonesian workers spent Thursday protesting government tax and wage policies. Public sector workers across Argentina also took a day off work to protest government austerity policies and mass layoffs. And in Slovakia, teachers stepped up their job action with a one-day warning strike by 10,000 education workers with the promise of larger numbers to follow. Our top working women's stories included coverage of the impunity employers in the United Kingdom have when it comes to paying women less than men for doing the same work, a union-led campaign for 120 days of maternity leave in the Philippines, and the publication of a novel in Zimbabwe that is publicizing the struggles of domestic workers in that country. The Health and Safety Newswire we run in cooperation with Hazard Magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the new German law providing workplace protections to sex workers, and how after yet another bus driver was assaulted at work, Bangladeshi public transport workers parked their vehicles to demand better security. Currently, Labor Start is running four online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Derek's cat is named Bogart. Okay, okay, go away. I'm going to put you out. Get out, get out. Go on, get out. Thank you. And that's it. International labor news you can use. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Labor. I'm Art Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Okay. <clears throat> that was a radio labor report. Remember, you're only alone when you don't stand up for something. And if you don't stand up, you'll be counted as standing up for sitting down. Speaking of that, the uh, Colin Kaepernick action taken two, three weeks ago uh, to sit down during the flag salute, and that's now been modified to taking a knee during the flag salute, is uh, wildly popular all over the country, all over the country. Pro players, college players, High school players <clears throat> are showing their displeasure, their anger at what's happening to young men of color on the streets. And when we say black lives matter, that doesn't mean only black lives matter. Anyone who's shot down illegally by a policeman is in this movement. Their people are in this movement. Um, Colin Kaepernick himself is not really thriving as, as a player on, on 
the 49ers, but his movement and his idea and his action have really resonated all over the uh, all over the landscape of sports. The fact that uh, an athlete would take an action like that Shouldn't be a new idea. We had John Smith and uh, John Carlos and Tommy Smith. We had Muhammad Ali. We've had other people in the interim up to now who have shown their conscience, voted their conscience, and shown in some way that it's not okay what's going on. Okay, here's the clan, okay? Richie Havens. And we'll have something about James Meredith. Richie Havens. Hey, sister, hey, 
Donnie Hathaway with uh, the ghetto. Hathaway was. Uh... Let's take a look here. <clears throat> Hathaway was born in Chicago, um, raised in St. Louis. He began singing in a church, as did so many. So many, so many singers and performers. He studied music at Howard University and there met Roberta Flack. Um, this song, The Ghetto, was a giant hit in uh, 1973. Um, Team with Roberta Flack on The Closer I Get to You on her album, Blue Lights in the Basement. But uh, he was always a troubled young man. Uh, his death was ruled a suicide when he was found dead on a sidewalk beneath the window of his 15-floor room in New York's Essex House Hotel. It was reported that he jumped... His friends were mystified considering that his career had just entered a resurgence. He had told people that uh, white people were trying to kill him and had connected his brain to a machine for the purpose of stealing his music and his sound. Now, why would he think that? Why would he think that white people were out to get him in the U.S.? If he was alive now, he'd be certain of it. Let's talk about James Meredith, October 1st, 1962, I want to say. Um, James Meredith became the first... African-American person to register, successfully register at the University of Mississippi in 1962. His uh, entrance, his registration, which was backed up by federal troops sent by President Kennedy, uh, touched off a riot of white people. Kennedy ordered the nationalized Mississippi National Guard and federal troops to the campus. In violent clashes which followed, two men were killed by gunshot wounds, and the white mob burned cars, pelted federal marshals with rocks, bricks, and small arms fire, and damaged university property. Meredith persisted through harassment and extreme isolation to graduate on August 18, 1963 with a degree in physical science. Many students harassed Meredith during his two semesters on campus. Students living in Meredith's dorm bounced basketballs on the floor just above his room through all hours of the night. Other students ostracized him when Meredith walked into the cafeteria for meals. 
the students eating would turn their backs. If Meredith sat at a table with other students, all of whom were white, the students would immediately get up and go to another table. Not very hospitable, is it? So uh, Meredith made it possible for more students to study at uh, universities in the South. And it was this day, October 1st, 1962. 54 years ago. And we're still struggling with all the same issues. Maybe not on campus, but maybe so. Uh, there was a case at San Jose State where white students made a black student walk around with a noose around his neck and a sign that said three-fifths of a person, referring, of course, to the U.S. Constitution, which refers to blacks and Indians slaves and Indians as three-fifths of a person. After returning uh, to Mississippi to live, Meredith ran for the U.S. Senate against James Eastland, Democratic Dixiecrat senator, who had been the incumbent for 29 years and what had operated as a one-party state. Following provisions of a new state constitution in 1890 that made voter registration extremely difficult, African Americans had been effectively disenfranchised, and the Republican Party had been crippled. Got to remember, the Republicans Party, this is where the Southern strategy developed, that white racists could depend on the South in a presidential election because of the horrific, horrific results of uh, the Democratic one-party rule in the South. He ended up working for a uh, segregationist, Senator Jesse Helms, and when asked about it, Meredith said he had applied to every member of the Senate and House offering his services, and only Helms' office responded. James Meredith, still with us today. Okay. Um, Wells Fargo's in the news. <laughs> History of Ripoffs, how the big banks are just ripoff artists. <laughs> Remember uh, um, Goldman Sachs advising people to invest and buy a certain stock or a certain fund at the same time when they were selling it? Therefore, lining their pockets. Well, here's Wells Fargo. Now, you got to put this in context. In the 2008 debacle, Wells Fargo was the good guy. 
Wells Fargo had not invested in any complete way at all in housing uh, credit swaps, the tool that kind of brought down the whole system when it was when people realized that they had made bets, that they had bought bets that the booming housing economy would continue. Wells Fargo did not exist in those. Wells Fargo, when, when they went to the U.S. government, the U.S. government was handing out money to stabilize the banks. Wells Fargo said they didn't want it. They didn't need it. And they were forced to take the money, which they paid back. But now Wells Fargo is caught in what's called mixing, huh? They create accounts. You, All of a sudden, you've got accounts at Wells Fargo you didn't even know you had, and you're being charged for them. You're paying fees on them. You didn't know you had the account. You didn't know you had to keep a, a minimum balance. Wells Fargo employees created millions of fake bank and credit card accounts over the past five years, in a widespread scheme to collect fees and hit sales targets. Now here it is. You're a face-to-face -face advisor and you're uh, told by your management that you better get more accounts and better get more accounts open. Of course, you're going to do it to keep your job. Well, Wells Fargo blamed the employees. They fired 5,300 employees who were involved in the fraudulent practice. But the president of Wells Fargo still maintains his, his uh, position. And uh, he had to give back $41 million. He and another Wells Fargo executive. An analysis conducted by a consulting firm hired by Wells Fargo concluded that bank employees opened up over 1.5 million deposit accounts that may have not been authorized. The way it worked was that employees moved funds from customers' existing accounts into newly created accounts without their knowledge or consent. Additionally, Wells Fargo employees also submitted applications for 565,000 credit card accounts without their knowledge or consent. And of course, they're shifting the blame to the employees. But if you're being told from on high, from the very top of the organization, that you better churn, you better get more accounts created. You're going to do it. Let's see if we can find something else out about Wells Fargo. Um, Wells Fargo's September from Hell. States are now suspending operations with some of the Wells Fargo uh, Wells Fargo um, operatives 
2 million unauthorized accounts. Dozen of fuming former Wells Fargo workers reached out to CNN Money to share horror stories of the pressure cooker environment that led to this sordid behavior. Some said they had been fired for refusing to engage in these illegal practices. All others said they were fired for blowing the whistle. Lawmakers were livid. They called Wells Fargo a criminal enterprise guilty of a range of crimes, including conspiracy to commit fraud and racketeering. One even compared Wells Fargo to the notorious Enron. In an epic takedown, Senator Elizabeth Warren called Wells Fargo CEO gutless and said, you should resign. You should be criminally investigated. Republicans and, and senators scorning him. The beat goes on, y'all, and uh, he won't be, there won't be any meaningful indictment or uh, criminal charges brought against these people. They'll just return. They'll lose a few million dollars, which they can afford to lose. And uh, things will go on as usual. More Wells Fargo, the same people who brought us the big, what do they call it, the Great Recession, will be uh, still running the ship. That's just how it goes. Let's listen to uh, a real pleasure, a recent version of a great work song with Sloop John B., the Sailor's Work Song about the miseries of the long voyages and the problems involved. This is uh, from the 1900s at least, perhaps before that. We come on the sloop John B. My grandfather and me Around Nassau town we did a roam Drinking all night Got into a fight Well, I feel so broken I wanna go home So hoist up the John B. Sale See how the main sail set Come for the captain ashore Let me go home Let me go home Why don't they let me go home? Yeah, yeah Well, I feel so broke up I want to go home Yeah. 
Sloop John B., which is a traditional uh, Bahamian song under various titles, The Wreck of the Sloop John B., The Sloop John B., The First Mate He Got Drunk. Anyway, uh, Brian Wilson and Al Jardine from the Beach Boys, and that was a recent recording. This year, September 2016, the Beach Boys. It's October now, and October always has a special place in my imagination. Uh, some of the most beautiful songs and pieces have been written about October. Here's one by... Uh, Jack Kerouac, about his life uh, uh, working on the railroad in San Francisco in the 50s. There was a little alley in San Francisco, back of the Southern Pacific Station at 3rd and Townsend, in red brick of drowsy, lazy afternoons with everybody at work in offices. In the air, you feel the impending rush of their commuter frenzy. As soon they'll be charging en masse for market and sansom buildings on foot and in buses and all well-dressed through working man Frisco of walk-up truck drivers. And even the poor grime be marked Third Street of lost bums, even Negroes so hopeless and long left East and meanings of responsibility and try. That now all they do is stand there spitting in the broken glass, sometimes 50 in one afternoon against one wall at Third and Howard. It is all these Milbray and San Carlos neat necktied producers and commuters of America and steel civilization rushing by with San Francisco chronicles and green called bulletins, not even enough time to be disdainful. They've got to catch 130, 132, 134, 136, all the way up to 146 till the time of evening supper in homes of the railroad earth when high in the sky the magic stars ride above the following hot shot freight trains. It's all in California. It's all a sea. I swim out of it in afternoons of sun-hot meditation in my jeans with head on handkerchief on brakeman's lantern or, if not working, on book. I look up at blue sky of perfect lost purity and feel the warp of wood of old America beneath me. And I have insane conversations with Negroes in second-story windows above, and everything is pouring in. The switching moves of boxcars in that little alley, which is so much like the alleys of Lowell, and I hear far off in the sense of coming night that engine calling our mountains. But it was that beautiful cut of clouds I could always see above the little SP alley. Puffs floating by from Oakland, or the gate of Marin to the north, or San Jose south. The clarity of Cal break your heart. 
It was the fantastic drowse and drum hum of lum mum afternoon, nothing to do. Old Frisco with end of land sadness. The people, the alley full of trucks and cars of businesses nearabouts. Nobody knew or far from cared who I was all my life, 3,500 miles from birth, all opened up and at last belonged to me in great America. And now it's night in Third Street. The keen little neons and also yellow bulb lights of impossible to believe flops. The dark ruined shadows moving back of torn yellow shades like a degenerate China with no money. The cats in Annie's alley. The flop comes on, moans, rolls. The street is loaded with darkness. Blue sky above with stars hanging high over old hotel roofs and blowers of hotels moaning out dusts of interior. The grime inside the word in mouths falling out tooth by tooth. The reading rooms tick-tock big clock with creek chair and slant boards and old faces looking up over rimless spectacles bought in some West Virginia or Florida or Liverpool, England pawn shop long before I was born. And across rains, they've come to the end of the land sadness, end of the world gladness. All your San Francisco will have to fall eventually and burn again. But I'm walking, and one night, a bum fell into the hole of the construction job where they're tearing a sewer by day. The husky Pacific and electric youths in torn jeans who work there, often I think of going up to some of them, like, say, blonde ones with wild hair and torn shirts, and they say, you ought to apply for the railroad. It's much easier work. You don't stand around the street all day, and you get much more pay. But this bum fell in the hole. You saw his foot stick out. British MG, also driven by some eccentric, once backed into that hole. And as I came home from a long Saturday afternoon local to Hollister out of San Jose, miles away across virtuous fields of prune and juice joy, here's this British MG backed and legs up, wheels up into a pit and bums and cops standing right outside the coffee shop. It was the way they fenced it, but he never had the nerve to do it due to the fact that he had no money and nowhere to go and no, his father was dead, no, his mother was dead, no, his sister was dead, no, his whereabout was dead, was dead. But and then at that time also, I used to lay in my room on long Saturday afternoons listening to Jumpin' George with my fifth toque, no tea, and just under the sheets laugh to hear the crazy music. Mama, he treats your daughter mean. Mama, Papa, don't you come in here, I'll kill you, etc. Getting high by myself in room glooms, and all wondrous knowing about the Negro, the essential American, out there, always finding his solace, his meaning, in the Fellaheen Street and not an abstract morality. And even when he has a church, you see the pastor out front bowing to the ladies on the make. You hear his great vibrant voice on the Sunday afternoon sidewalk full of sexual vibratos saying, why, yes, ma'am, but the gospel do say that man was born of woman's womb. <laughs> no, and so, by that time, I come crawling out of my warm sack and hit the street. When I see the railroad ain't gonna call me till 5 a.m. Sunday morning, probably for a local out of Bay Shore, in fact, always for a local out of Bay Shore. And I go to the whale bar of all the wild bars in the world, the one and only Third and Howard. And there I go in and drink with the madmen, and if I get drunk, I get. The girl who come up to me in there one night, I was there with Al Buckle, said to me, you wanna play with me tonight, Jim? And I didn't think I, I didn't think I had enough money. And I told this to Charlie Lowe, and he laughed, said, 
How do you know she wanted money? Always take the chance that she might be out just for love, or just out for love. You know what I mean. Don't be a sucker. She was a good-looking doll. She said, how would you like to ooh you cool with me, mon? And I stood there like a jerk. In fact, bought drink, got drink drunk that night in the 299 Club. I was hit by the proprietor, the band breaking up the fight. Before I had a chance to decide to hit him back, which I didn't want to do anyway. Not on the street. I tried to rush back in, but they had locked the door and were looking at me through the forbidden glass in the door with faces like undersea. I should have played with her shoo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-
We had Jack Kerouac <clears throat> with Steve Allen on piano from the album Songs for the Beat Generation. October in the Railroad Earth, Kerouac's memoir about his days as a brakeman on the Southern Pacific living in uh, San Francisco, south of Market, and then followed that with Richard Burton reading uh, the poem of a fellow Welshman, Dylan, the great Dylan Thomas. Home in October. This is Labor and Love. It's been a long time since we said that, but it still is. You're listening to Mutiny Radio. <clears throat> Mutiny Radio, a center in the Mission District for art, performance art, spoken art, graphic art, plastic art. It's all happening right here. Come on in with your program or your ideas and put them to work here at Mutiny Radio. Mutiny Radio, a cultural center for the Mission District. This is Labor and Love Show. And uh, I want to play a personal set here. My uh, soulmate is out of town. Hope she's doing well down there in San Antonio. Hello to everybody down there in San Antonio. But I still miss her. Here's uh, Edie Gourmet. The song by Agustin Lara. de ronda que triste pasas que triste cruzas por mi balcón noche de ronda Como me hieres, como lastimas mi corazón. How my, how my heart hurts when you go out like this by yourself, noche de ronda. You go out with your buddies at night. Dates that you have going around. And pain. 
crying about. This is for you, babe. You know these people walking around here talking about the woman on the left of them, all that kind of carrying on. I don't see why that woman has to leave them. Mine ain't left me yet. But I don't know how soon. I keep that woman on my mind, just as fat and healthy as she can be. She will do. You know, because I raise hogs, chickens, and cows, and everything. And she better not act like she's hungry. Not as a cow did. And if she want a choke, I go out there and catch one of them chokes. And she have pork chops all the week. And every time she get hungry, she get evil. You can't blame the girl, cause she's a country girl. Now my baby's a country girl, and she just can't help herself.
So those were two I Miss You songs. One was Noche de Ronda by the great Agustin Lara, sung by Edie Gourmet, with the uh, very famous group Trio Los Panchos. Los Panchos started an entire industry of um, trio, guitar trio um, players. Then we had the great Otis Spahn, for a long time the uh, piano Keyboards player with the Muddy Waters Orchestra band with uh, Hungry Country Girl. Incredible uh, piano solo right in there. Okay, what the hell? You know, you're alone, you're by yourself. Things aren't going so great, but you got two more bottles of wine.
Remy Lou Harris, one of our last cuts today. It's all right because it's midnight. And I got two more bottles of wine. want to tell you today in labor history. September 30th, black farmers meet in Elaine, Arkansas to establish the Progressive Farmers and Householders Union to fight for better pay and higher con cotton prices in 1919. Shot, by a group, shot at by a group of whites and returned the fire a riot ensued, leaving at least 100, perhaps several hundred blacks dead, 16 indicted for inciting violence. Cesar Chavez, that was in 1919. 1962, Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta co-found the National Farm Workers Association, which later becomes the UFW. October 1st, 1910. October 1st, 1910, an ink storage room in the L.A. Times building is dynamited during a citywide fight over labor rights and organizing. The explosion was relatively minor, but it set off a fire in the unsafe, difficult-to-evacuate building, ultimately killing 21. A union member eventually confessed to the bombing, which he said was supposed to have occurred early in the morning before people were at work. Strike at the Washington Post, 1975. Press operators picketed for 19 months. The National Hockey League team owners locked out the players, lasting 103 days in 1994. Remember, you're only alone when you don't stand up. Today in labor history, let's look that one up. That was a crucial happening in the history of the Los Angeles labor movement anyway. By 1910, L.A. had the reputation of being one of the most anti-union anti cities in the country, largely because of Harrison Gray Otis, called himself Colonel Otis, uh, publisher of the Los Angeles Times. Um, working people were able to uh, encourage William Randolph Hearst to start a uh, to start a, uh, another newspaper, so that the Times would not be the only paper in town, the only big big paper in town. Um, Otis organized the Owners Association in Los Angeles to be a virulent anti-union area, but unions were making, the iron workers were making progress, and there was a strike going on against the times. The bomb blew off, kind of uh, blew the whole 
the whole um, movement. A socialist named Job Harriman was running for uh, mayor of Los Angeles. He was an out-and-out -out socialist, and he was doing well. doing very well. He was slated to win that election, but uh, the explosion and the death of 21 workers because of it turned the public against the entire labor movement, which uh, was a little extreme. Uh, the great Clarence Darrow came to town to defend the McNamara brothers who were accused of it. They were officers in the, uh, in the um, Iron Workers Union. Um, the, the entire case against them was very flimsy, was depending on a, a turncoat named Harry Orchard and uh, James McParlin, who was famous for um, betraying the Mary Maguires, was involved here. And uh, after a long while, Darrow realized that the brothers, at least one of the brothers, was had actually done, had actually planted the bomb. So he plea bargained, and it happened just three or four days before the election, turned the entire area against uh, labor and against the labor union, the uh, movement which had taken so much time to put together was uh, discredited and lost, lost the election. Okay, it's about time to get out of here and leave you to uh, my buddy, um, Scott Walker. And as always, we end with Internacional. A better world is possible. Get off your butts and get out there. There's a world to win. Remember, All those people, remember this. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, a lot of other people work for that dollar that they didn't get paid, they didn't get. If your name is, uh, you don't have a seat at the negotiating table, you're probably on the menu. And finally, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. This is the B signing off. Callouts to Vito makes me proud to be a dad to my absent soulmate and to the whole family. Everybody out there, good week and good work. This is the B signing off.
Hicks. Ed, can you tell me what food relieves insomnia, anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite? I'm going to guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby. Good, because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again. And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com. That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive, pharmaceutical-free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4 altacalifornia.com Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm from there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Yeah, you. You look like the kind of person who has a sense of humor. Oh, uh, is the radio talking to me? No, I'm on an internet podcast. Uh, I'm talking to an internet podcast? Don't be silly. It's a one-way form of communication. But I don't want you to miss out on the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2016 from March 2nd through 6th. And you don't have to. You can buy tickets now on universe.com with 24 national and international visiting comedians and 20 local hosts. You won't want to miss a thing. What if I can't be at every show? Don't worry. All shows will be available for free download at mutinyradio.fm until the internet falls apart. Oh, podcast God, I can't wait to listen to all these great comedy shows and everything else that's cool and muniradio.fm before the internet falls apart. You too won't want to miss a bit of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival from March 2nd through 6th, 2016. Buy tickets now. Brought to you by Subliminal SF, PBR, The Eagle SF, Brainwash Cafe, Asiento, and the great people at Alta California Botanicals. Have you heard of Subliminal SF? Visual and auditory mind control. Graphic design, physical merchandise, live music promotions. Go! www.subliminalsf.com 
for the most amazing t-shirts you've ever seen, graphic design for every need, and live music promotion at some of the best bars in San Francisco. That's Subliminal SF, visual and auditory mind control. Go to SubliminalSF.com now. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for mere fun dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's joke workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. 
rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk, come together with music from around the world, with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio, when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment, wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. Did you know that compact fluorescent light bulbs use 60% less energy than regular light bulbs? And that each one saves about 300 pounds of carbon dioxide a year? If all Americans switched to CFLs, we would save more than 90 billion pounds of carbon dioxide. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Muni Radio in San Francisco. People from all over the Bay Area come to the Lindsay Wildlife Museum to experience close encounters with live wild animals. The museum's living collection features more than 50 species of non-releasable native California animals. Visitors can see and learn about wildlife such as eagles, owls, bobcats, coyotes, reptiles, and other fascinating creatures. The museum's world-renowned Wildlife Rehabilitation Hospital treats more than 5,000 wild animals each year with the goal of returning them to their native habitat. The Lindsay Wildlife Museum is in Walnut Creek. To learn more, visit